again. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's always a blessing to be with you. Uh, before uh, we, we step into the sermon together, I feel like I, I need to say a couple of words about some things that happened in our country yesterday in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, if you uh, watched the news at all yesterday, you know that there was violence that erupted there, uh, violence that has to do with racism uh, and an inability for people to value one another enough to not be violent to each other. Uh, here's what I want to confess to you this morning. When I watch news stories like that unfold, especially when they unfold in a place that's a little ways from here, I shake my head and I'm thankful that that's not happening here and that I'm not a part of it. But I am a part of it. And so are you. And I think the very worst thing we can do when violence happens in our world, wherever it happens and for whatever reason it happens, that we're thankful it's not us. It is us. And I know we don't want to believe that. Because I look at, at events, I look at the ways people treat each other and the reasons they treat each other that way, and I want to conveniently write myself out of that story altogether. But I can't do that. Because Paul said, when one died, therefore all died. Right? That, that what Jesus does, Jesus doesn't just do for some people, Jesus does for all people, which means... There's us. When he's talking about the greatest commandment, he says, love God with everything you have and everything you are and love your neighbor. How? Okay, I don't think he just means love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I think he means see your neighbor as yourself. See them as us. I know nobody in this room wants to see themselves in a white supremacist, but it's us. I know there's people in this room that would be very uncomfortable aligning themselves with something like Black Lives Matter, but it's us. It's us. We don't get to pretend we're not a part of the human family. And I think that the biggest temptation in all this is to scapegoat. Right? To, to pat ourselves on the back because we didn't get in a car and drive it into a crowd of people yesterday. I'm glad that you didn't do that. I'm not sure it's something we should be congratulating ourselves for. And at some very basic human level, that happened to us. And I'm afraid that in the, in the partisanship of our current world... We rush to define how people are different from us. And then we call those people them. And pretty soon, us and them are fighting over who matters more. Who's worth more. Who should be honored more. And we've seen how that plays out ever since Cain and Abel 
had a disagreement about who mattered more to God. It never ends well. It never ends the way God wants it to end. So I'm just, I'm just asking us, I'm begging us in a moment like this to be careful and to figure out a way to see something in them that reminds us that they're us. Now, now what that's going to take is creating in us a sense of, of community that's big enough to be able to say, you're different from me. You, you look different from me. You might think different from me. You, you may draw different conclusions than I do, but you still belong in relationship with me. You still deserve to be treated with love and grace just as much as I do. Jesus longs for us to figure out how to have an an ability to say that we can still be family and disagree about very important things. That we can still be family and have different shades of skin. And that we're not insisting that we all become exactly alike before we're going to say we're all we all have the same worth and value. Right? That I'll accept you as long as you look like me and think like me and agree with me. That's pretty easy acceptance. Jesus calls for more than that. We need to grieve over the sin of racism. We need to grieve over the sin of rejecting other people because we can tell they're different from us and deciding that now we're going to fight over who matters more. Jesus settled that at the cross. Every single human being, regardless of their, their creed or their color of skin or where they come from or what religion they belong to, they're all, every single one of those people, each of them as individuals is worth the life of God's own son. And it's not good enough for us to just talk like that. We have to help people experience that truth. This happened last night. I don't have a plan. I just, I just want us to be careful. Don't choose sides. Choose a family. Let's pray. God, as we come together this morning and we open up your word, And we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, follow the example of your son at home within our families. We pray that you would deepen in us the truth that we belong to to a human family, that you love so much you sent Jesus to live and to die and rise again. And help us to find better ways to express that belief to one another. Stop the violence, God. Stop the hatred. Stop this ridiculous cycle we get caught up in in trying to figure out who's your favorite and who matters more and whose voice gets to be heard. God, please help us treat one another the way you treat us. Help us to love each other so that there's no more division, even though there is difference. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I think if we're honest, we all have favorite versions of ourselves. We've got the church you and the home you and the work you and the, the fun you. That's my smallest version of myself. 
uh, the, the silly you, the, the, all those things. And they, they all tell something of who you are, but no single one version of yourself that's partial like that is able to fully tell the truth about who you are. Now, I know we know that, but I think it's important for us to begin by saying, look, God doesn't want us to develop different versions of ourselves that we, we, we take off and put back on whenever the situation seems to call for it. God, God doesn't want you to, to live that, that way where your heart is fractured and your identity is, is uneven and you're not sure exactly who you really are at your core. God wants you to be open and honest with him. God wants you to be open and honest with the people around you. God really also wants you to, to know how to be open and honest with yourself. You know, sometimes we get so good at crafting partial versions of ourselves, we, we start to, to get confused about who we, we really are when it's all said and done. Pretending that we're someone we, we truly aren't is something that's been going on for the very beginning, from the very beginning of time and, and people. And, and what we find time after time throughout history is that when you try to pretend you're somebody you're not, at some point, uh, you're, you're going to lose that game. At some point, you're going to slip up. At some point, you're going to reveal the truth about who you really are. And... It's not, I, I don't think that it's, it's random or that it's, that it's accidental that for all of us, the place where that truth really comes out is when we're around the people we know best, that the people we're closest to, the people in our family, people in our home. You know, like Jeffrey said, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, when I'm at church on Sunday mornings or, or when I'm at the church office uh, during the week from 8 to 5, I, I have this ability to maintain a certain persona, right? I, I have a facade that I, I want to project to people, um, and, and I'm able to do it within those limited windows. But when I get home every day at night, uh, I am tired, I'm worn out, and I'm not really able to keep any, any pretense up anymore, and so if I'm anxious, Lauren and the girls know it. If I'm frustrated, I don't hide it. If I'm angry, I don't, I don't soften that much. If I'm frustrated ab- about a situation that's happening even outside of our home, but I, I need to, to kind of talk through it, I'm going to do that, whether that makes the evening pleasant or not. I don't know what it is, and I know that I'm not the only one, that when we get home around the people we love and the people who we know love us no matter what, suddenly we get less careful. I think it's because we know that they, they love us no matter what, and we start to take those people for granted, that they'll stick around regardless of exactly how we act and we, we speak to them and we, we, we treat them. And, and here's the thing that I think we've got to really struggle with in our world. And that is, there's this new push towards authenticity, right? That, that you need to be the real you. I'm afraid that what that has become over time is less about just being open and honest than it's more about being whoever it is you want to be at any given moment. That's you being authentic. 
But I just want to remind you this morning that being careful with how you treat the people you live with is not faking. Being polite when you don't feel like it, that's not playing a game. Being intentional is not being deceptive. I would hope that your truest self is is a version of you that wants to be purposeful and to take great care in how you treat the people you love in your home. Right? That you wouldn't set out to just act any way you want to. If, If the truest you is just you getting to do whatever it is you feel like doing, then I'm guessing... Uh, that the people who have to, to share your home with you are struggling with it, right? That that can't be what we mean when we say the real version, the true identity you have. It can't just be you doing whatever it is you feel like doing. It's got to be you trying to follow Jesus in one of the most challenging contexts to follow Jesus, and that is the people who you know are going to be there unconditionally. Once you you start to realize they're going to be there unconditionally. How is it that you're going to interact with them, treat them, talk with them in ways that don't take their presence in your life for granted? It's difficult, but I think we all struggle with it. And I I want us to look at some of the words the Apostle Paul uses as he talks about the way we should be treating one another when we're in our families, when we're at home. So open up to Ephesians Chapter 5, we'll be starting in verse 21. He starts by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And now he's going to go on and describe what he means by saying that. Okay, So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And we'll jump down a little bit to chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that comes with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it clear in these verses that it's simply not enough for us to be able to figure out how to follow Christ out there in the world somewhere. We also need to figure out how to follow Christ in the privacy of our own homes. The way we treat our family members, and scripture is consistent with this. The way we treat our family members says something very significant about our devotion to Jesus. The way you're a spouse, the way you're a parent, the way you're a child is your discipleship. It's not something that's separate from it. The way I treat Lauren, the way I interact with Riley and Reese, it says something crucial about my seriousness in following the example of Jesus. 
Because as is always true for God, our loving actions towards others are the very best way for us to express our loving feelings towards God. You can't separate them. And we're supposed to love other people in a way that helps us treat them better than they deserve. Because God has loved us in a way that treats us better than we deserve. And there's a key word that Paul seizes on that makes all of this possible. That word is submit. Now, I know that word isn't very popular in today's world, but I'm betting that it was never popular in any world. Okay, and Paul knows that when he chooses it. And he still chooses it. And he says, this is how you need to be relating to one another. So at the very top of defining what it means to be Christians and families, what it means to be Christians at home, he says, everybody needs to be trying to submit to everybody else. Submitting is difficult. I mean, it is the act of denying my desire to get whatever it is I think I need to have a fulfilling life. It's, it's sub, subverting that desire in order to help you experience a fulfilling life that, that you desire. The language of submission is the sentence that Jesus speaks to, to God in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says... It's not my will, but your will, Father, that I want to do. Now, we read a story like that in the Gospels and we think, okay, yeah, I I think if I was courageous enough and I I had a, a strong sense of my calling enough that I could imagine myself being in that place and saying those words to God, not my will, but your will be done. But when Paul says you're going to submit respectfully to one another, he's saying, you don't just have to say those words to God, you've got to say those words to ordinary, everyday, faulty human beings. And now the question is, who's going to line up behind me to try to live that way? I'm speaking as Paul, not myself. Who, who's going to line up behind Paul to learn how to say the words of submission over and over and over again to the people in our homes? It's not what I want, but what you want. It's not what I will, but, but you will. And that gets, that's just so hard. I mean, he, he's, he, he's clearly saying that in a home structure, husbands should be doing everything they can to be second to their wives. And that wives should be doing the same thing for their husbands. And he's saying that children need to obey their parents, not just when it's easy, but especially when it's difficult to do what those parents have asked them to do. And then he says to the fathers, don't treat your children in a way that makes them feel discouraged and like they're never going to be good enough. Don't exasperate your children. Be good and kind and thoughtful about how you talk to them and treat them. Submit to one another the way Jesus submits To his father, submit to one another. That's one thing to talk like that, but it's another thing for us to really try to to figure out what that's going to look like. I mean, for Paul, what makes a family Christian is not where they spend Sunday mornings. 
What makes a family Christian is the fact that every single member in that family is genuinely trying to give up control of everybody else in the family, right? Most family problems are somebody has the control and somebody else in the family wants the control. In our family, I'm just going to leave that alone. But in your family, you know the dynamic, right? Somebody's got the control, somebody wants the control. You can find all kind of parenting books that say, yeah, and parents, you need to exert all the control on your children for as long as you possibly can. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't work out when parents and children are competing over who has control over the family. Right? So there's got to be some sort of mutuality, this respect that that helps a family develop in such a way where it's not that everybody's chasing after control, it's actually that everybody's chasing after trying to help each other. That the parents are living that way towards their children. Now, help may not always be perceived as help. I understand that. But there's a difference between trying to help form your child into a Christ-following adult That's different than just winning the argument and getting your way because you're older. And I have overheard Christian parents slip into that that power differential problem and start to lose sight of, okay, what am I actually trying to do in my relationship to my child? Am I modeling, arguing, and having conflicts, and and dealing with punishments, and dealing with consequences? Am I modeling all that out of a foundation of love, Or am I primarily just doing it because I can? Our kids know the difference. And they will not live the way we tell them to live. They will live the way we've shown them how to live. For Paul, the best way to be a family is to be a family that's built on the foundation of unforced mutual submission. Okay, I think this is where the world gets submission wrong. I think the world believes that you can call it submission when you force it on somebody else. That's not submission. Christian submission, defined in scripture, is always chosen and unforced. Okay? And in order for that to happen, we've got to start to develop a community within our homes where it's not based on control and competition, but it is based on compassion and collaboration. There were many times growing up I did not like submitting to my parents because I knew that I knew better than they did. When I was nine years old, I was in Little League, and I was skinnier and smaller than I am right now. I was definitely shorter, and that meant that in Little League, uh, I could kind of crouch down at the plate, and I had a really small strike zone. And I learned early on that at nine years old, the kids pitching are having trouble. You know, they're just learning how to pitch. And so I learned that without fail, if I just stood up there and didn't swing, I was going to get on first base. Well, my father was a volunteer ump, and he didn't usually 
uh, up behind the plate on my games, but it just so happened that there was a particular Saturday where that was going to happen. And so we're in the car driving there, and he says to me, son, you're exploiting other people's weaknesses at the plate. And if I can tell that little guy's trying and you're not swinging, I'm going to call ball strikes. Because that's my prerogative as the ump. And I said, that's not fair. You wouldn't do that. And he said, watch me. So I get myself ready to, to have my first at bat and he's, you know, he's all dressed up like an ump. He's got a helmet and a big padded chest plate and shin guards and the whole bit. He looks like a catcher, basically. And he's back there, and I get up to the plate, and I hear him say through the mask, I'm serious. <laughs> and my mom's there. My sisters are there. We have some friends from church there. And I think he's not going to do that. That's wrong. If it's a strike, it's a strike. If it's a ball, it's a ball. He would never do that to me. So I get into my batter stance and crouch as small as I possibly can, and I wait. And this kid throws a ball that's at least a foot off the plate. And there's a pause. And my dad says, strike one. I turn around and I look at him, and I'm thinking, oh, he's bluffing. The kid throws a ball that bounces a foot in front of the plate. Strike two. So for the first time in like three weeks, I decide I'm going to have to swing. So I swing and foul it off. And I think, okay, at least I've tried. He's not really going to do this. And this kid throws a ball that's nowhere near the strike zone. And he says, strike three, you're out. And I turned around and started hitting him as hard as I could with my bat. He was wearing padding. Stop feeling sorry for him. He was padded from head to toe. Needless to say, I got thrown out of the game. I was benched for two weeks in Little League. Uh, the ladies that came with my mom to Little League to the game were mortified uh, that I had accosted my father with a bat. And I knew I was right. So we get in the car on the way home, and I'm not going to crack. And so my dad and I are driving, and I, got, I have this whole argument ready. And he said, son, I was wrong. I was wrong to do that to you. I don't like that you're taking advantage of these other pitchers like this. I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair. It's not the kind of baseball player I want you to be. It's not the kind of person I want you to be. But I shouldn't have done that to you. And I'm sorry. Don't ever swing a bat at me again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all have moments in our families where we've all overstepped. Right? Where we, we get into an interaction and it really becomes about who's in control and who gets to call the balls and the strikes. Right? Who, who gets to decide who's going to win. And what Paul's trying to say is when, when that happens to a family within a home, that, that it's hard for Christ to be the head of that home. 
that, that we've got to find a way to mutually submit. Now, he, here's, here's what I have found to be true in my life. Paul's not saying this. I'm saying this. I have found it to be true that the only way for me to keep submitting to somebody else is for me to believe that they love me. Like they really and truly love me and want, want what's best for me. If I believe that at my core, I can keep submitting. It gets almost impossible for me if I start to suspect that they're really only interested in, in themselves. Right? But, but at least in this case, when, when I think about it, I think what Paul's trying to say is that mutual unforced submission is only made possible through mutual respect. That is built through, through trust. Trust that I know you and you know me. And none of, none of us in the family is perfect. But we know each other enough to know we're looking out for each other. We want what's best for each other. We're all trying to be more like Jesus together. And so it's through that built up trust over time that then when my father would ask me later to do something I didn't want to do, I remembered all the times that he had been looking out for me. And I was able to submit. And once I got to a place in my own character, in our family, where I, I consistently was trying to help the family, and that's something you grow into, right? That, that then my parents were able to trust, and they were able, in ways, to submit to what it was I was, I was trying to have our family do, or I was trying to do for them, or, or we were trying to do together. Mutual submiss- submission that's unforced, I think, is supported by ongoing Trust that is maintained through everybody in the home trying not to be a perfect, but a faithful disciple. Paul says that's what a Christian family looks like. Now, I just want to give you one thing to try this week. And that is, in a moment in your family where a decision's about to be made, now I'm not talking about a moral decision or or something where you know it possibly some somebody's going to make a decision to do something with money that your family can't afford i'm I'm talking about just general run of the mill daily decisions that you make as a family, like where to go to eat for lunch after church okay I want you to pick a time this week when normally that decision would be yours to make, and just give that decision to somebody else in your family. Let them make that call. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the, the difficulties, I'm not a psychologist and, I, and I'm not trained in childhood development, but I think one of the things we're seeing in families is children are not allowed to make decisions until they're almost already at least age-wise adults, and then we're surprised that they're learning how to make decisions. Maybe if we invited them to help make decisions in our family before they were 18 or 19 or 20 years old, they'd be more experienced at making decisions that help them be more like Christ. So I'm just saying, we all have places in our families where we call the shots. And sometime this week, when you you come up to a moment where you'd normally be, the whole family turns around and looks at you because you're the one who makes that decision, ask somebody else in the family, what do you think? How do you think we should spend tonight? Where do you think we should go? Who do you think we should invite over? Um, What movie do you think we should go see? 
right? Just, just help other people in your family have the sense that you value them enough to listen to them and to consider where it is they're coming from. That's what it means for us to be families that are living out this foundation of unforced mutual submission. And I know it's difficult, and I know it can be, it can be one of those things we just aren't comfortable trying, but I'm begging you, try it and see how God uses the moments where you lay down the power and control that you have to let somebody else experience what it means to shape your family. We're going to sing now together, and as we do, a, a couple of shepherds and their spouses will be just outside these double doors. They're there to pray with you. They're there to talk with you. So if you came in this morning uh, with any concern at all that you'd like to talk with a Christian couple about or a prayer of thanksgiving, um, whatever it is, please go to them as together we stand and sing.